It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, July 21st. Flub that up to begin with, right? Uh, it's not a good start to a show when you forget the date, but July 21st, 2020, as this crazy, crazy year rolls on. And I promised you guys some guests this week, and I am a man of my word uh, most of the time. So uh, I want to welcome in Hale McGranahan. Uh, Hail yes uh, from the bigspur.com recruiting team insider, uh, very valuable member of our staff at TBS. You know him, you love him. Hail. I guess the first question, you know, I'm going to throw at you is how have you been getting along? Because uh, we hadn't talked to you in a while during the during the pandemic, uh, during the COVID situation. Uh, I know that it's different state to state, but you've been. How's your social distancing going? And um, uh, did you survive the part where you had to kind of stay in your house or, you know, face public shame? <laughs> yeah, uh, doing well. Uh, so far, so good from a health standpoint for not only myself, but for my family and friends and all that. For the most part, we, we've come out unscathed. A few folks here and there have been touched by the virus, but nothing uh, too, too grave at this point. Uh, and so that's always a good thing to to uh to have i guess going for me and and the folks i care about but uh yeah i did the whole growing out the hair and had a mustache for a little while so i was looking kind of weird there for for a stretch and once i was able to go see my barber and you know find my razor i started looking not so uh homeless i guess is what the look i was i was rocking with there for a couple months but but yeah i'm doing well unfortunately this this recruiting stuff hadn't slowed down at all and and uh these guys are just anxious to to make decisions and put out top fives and and whatever even though nobody's been on a visit in four months so it's been rolling right along and unfortunately provided me with some some stuff to to add to the site and content for us to to share and talk about and have uh folks be engaged with uh at the big spur so yeah thank god not, for that. not too terribly bad all things considered yeah yeah if you think about it thank god the recruits are bored and sad and i think i do think boredom has something to do with the the massive amount of commits that we've seen and you know i think that when you're in high school you you know if you're if you're not going to school and and, and you're not you know getting it you're not walking up and down the hallway and you know pretty girls are kind of um talking to you and your buddies are high-fiving you and you're with your teammates or whatever, if you're just kind of hanging up with mom and dad, your connection to your social world and, and your way to get attention and, you know, and I'm not saying it like a bad thing. I mean, because I, I think that if you're a football player, you know, it's nice to hear the crowd. It's nice to get praised because you put in a lot of work, you work your butt off. Um, it, it's, it's social media and recruiting. And I think that that's, uh, that's part of it. And, you know, it certainly has been interesting to cover. And, and I think, too, you know, and, and look, I'm hearing now, and, and this is kind of a new thing, that there may not be visits. You know, we're, we've all sat around and kind of speculated on, well, when visits happen and it opens back up. Um, and, look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the positive opinion that they'll, they'll find a vaccine for this thing or a good treatment shortly, and I see the numbers going down. Um, in terms of deaths and hospitalizations and things like that. And uh, I think we're trending in the right direction, despite some of the fear porn that's out there. Um, and not that I don't take the virus seriously, but I, I think that like total cases and positive tests, when you're talking about a, a state like Florida with 21 million people in it, um, <clears throat> don't tell the whole story. I mean, originally, and, and I'm going to hold people at their word here, originally it was, Hey, th- this virus isn't necessarily totally lethal, but we don't need the hospital systems to be overwhelmed. So that's why we're doing this. And, and yeah, I kind of still believe that. But if you think about the recruiting calendar before the early signing period, which I don't think is going anywhere, I'm hearing they may not ever get to the point where they're comfortable with kids visiting. So a lot of guys are going to be signing sight unseen or holding off. Uh, and I think that's going to be interesting. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, JC, about visits. Uh, I was chatting casually with with one of one of my sources and here in Columbia, and 
that that was the agreement. They just don't see a way that that they're going to allow not just in South Carolina but across across the country how how they're going to allow kids to come on visits and walk into you know a, a building a football facility or onto a campus when they're coming from you know one different part of the country and and coming without a test and bringing in family members some of whom might be you know older and at risk and you're exposing them to potential uh harm from the virus and and on top of that you're also bringing in you know people who could be bringing in the virus to your your place so it kind of goes goes both ways where, where you look at it and it's like all right well that makes sense for for anybody if we're trying to trying to be safe from this thing but, but the thing that i was i've been sort of thinking about now because i've kind of come to that conclusion or come to that thought where I, where I don't see visits happening anytime soon on campuses or our college coaches going to be allowed to go out and hit the road um, and, and go watch high school games this fall because it's obviously starting to look like there will be high school football this fall. I mean, Georgia's delaying theirs for two weeks. South Carolina's pushed theirs back till September 11th. I think that's when week one's going to get going. Florida's onward and upward with, with the delay. I mean, obviously California's canceled their high school season, but – yeah, but they're going to be a lot. Yeah. But they're going to be a lot of high school states or a lot of states where, where high school football is a thing. And, and you know, I think normally every year, um, starting on what like September first, uh, college coaches are allowed to go out and walk high school hallways and and be on sidelines at games. So that to me is is the more, I guess, pressing question, uh, and one that that I think is probably as big a deal to, to high school coach or to college coaches as getting guys on campus is being able to go out and evaluate and, and, and seeing guys in person and, and making decisions for themselves when it comes to their recruiting classes. I think some of these States, um, Georgia is probably one and, and Florida last night, they voted to continue on schedule in spite of <laughs> some of their medical people saying, Hey, well, this isn't good. And this isn't good. I don't think I would go anywhere near a high school football game or a high school. I, I just, I think, you know, it, it, when you're in season, like, because I, my whole thing at this point is protect the season at all costs. You know, um, you can figure out recruiting later. I think the NCAA is going to give all kinds of waivers to, to whatever. I, I actually think the second signing day with high schools, some States playing in the spring and some may have to reschedule it there um, as it is. I think the second signing day is going to be April-ish. And um, Barton Simmons and uh, Barton Simmons and Bud Elliott's podcast, which they're part of our network, uh, Josh Pate, who I had on yesterday, was on there, and he was going back and forth with Bud about it. And they speculated that that second – the first signing period is probably intact because that's fundamentally – that's for people that have already decided this is where I'm going to go, nothing's going to change my mind, whatever – but that second one may extend a little bit. Um, in season, though, you're talking about coaches. I mean, because you just you just don't know what the protocol is at all these high schools. You don't know if they have the resources to test their kid. I mean, and, and I think you know when you're talking about students, teachers being around people, you just there's such a, a, a delta of potential exposure to where then you can go back and you either have to be quarantined from your team and not coach. Or, you know, you're going to infect players and that could infect, you know, impact the status of the games. I think you got to protect the games at all costs, recruiting be damned. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. One I certainly hadn't thought of. But, you know, <laughs> the other side of that is, well, if that's the case, then maybe you can uh, just send out some GAs and, or people who don't necessarily have to, to be in-house and, and on the sidelines during games. You can just have like – you know, you're, you're send them out and, you know, bring them back and quarantine them before they, you know, come back in the building. I mean, the non, non for lack of a better term, the non essential workers within your, <laughs> the sacrificial lambs. Yes. The non essential person. No, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. So we'll see kind of how it works. One of these guys that, um, I know game guy fans have been tracking. We've been tracking. I've talked about him on the podcast is Malachi Bennett. The nephew of Earl Bennett, quite frankly, he looks a little like – I remember when Earl Bennett came out, and I'm trying to remember this story correctly because I, I evaluated him. I was doing national regional recruiting at the time. I think I was at Rivals. I definitely was at Rivals because he was an 05 kid. Um, 
and I think he was committed to Kentucky and then flipped to Vanderbilt. So it was one of those – it was a great pickup for Bobby Johnson. We all remember Bobby Johnson and his staff. Um, And – Lo and behold, he's catching passes all over the place and 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 all that. They they, they took him out of Alabama or whatever. He may have been 04, maybe 05, I think 05. Anyway, because uh, he played against South Carolina in 05 when Cutler came in. I think he caught like, what, 14 passes in that game. Uh, but the Gamecocks won um, Spurrier's first year. But, but Malachi kind of plays like his uncle. I mean, they've – they're kind of taller, you know. Earl wasn't a very tall guy, but he was tall enough, long, good, big, long strider, good hands. I think for my money, you know, if I'm looking at all the receivers, and, and this is nothing against any of the other ones, I, I think Keon Coleman, who committed to Kansas, and then Bennett would be my personal top two. Um, so he was going to commit uh, Ole Miss because he'd been there. Um, seemed to be the team. I, I backed that up. I thought, well, in, in today's day and age, when people are committing sight unseen, I think it's responsible to commit to a place that you, you know that you're comfortable with because you just never know until you get there. Uh, but you got some news last night. He's holding it off, uh, holding off. And um, so, so how do you kind of number one? How do you see him as a player? Uh, and number two, how, what do you think this means for the Gamecocks? I think it's a good sign because, you know, late last week when we're trying to piece together some information for folks on the site, you, me, and Tony, and and it looks initially like, you know, they're going to get Bennett. He's, he's going to commit sight unseen, which, you know, he wouldn't be the first one in this class, certainly wouldn't be the first guy <laughs> across the country to do that. But, you know, we hear a little later that it's actually not going in South Carolina's favor and Ole Miss is the team to beat and, you know, it's looking like he's going to commit to Ole Miss this coming Friday. And I, I think it's pretty clear sign when, when he's pushing things back that uh, South Carolina is probably giving him something to think about. And, and I, I listened to, to your, your uh, podcast or th- this podcast with, with Josh Pate from, from Monday and agreed with a lot of what you said about how it's kind of refreshing to, to see a guy who, who's not ready to, to commit, because he hadn't, hadn't been to a place and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that he's taken a, a measured approach to it. So, so I would think that, that this is just a clear sign that, that South Carolina is very much in the mix and, and, and certainly giving him something to, to think about and, and maybe not rush into a decision or a, a reservation to a place that he doesn't necessarily want to go. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that if you just sort of read the tea leaves that, that South Carolina's, the, the team to beat at this point and, and sort of backs up what the initial thought was when we were reporting and putting in crystal balls for the Gamecocks like six days ago or whatever it was. So uh, yeah. I, I, I tend to disagree with you a little bit. I, I, if we're looking at the receivers that South Carolina is in on and, and like in terms of like the best guy, I think Jordan Mosley is committed to Tennessee is, is a really good player. I, I don't, I don't know, like physically, that that he's going to offer what maybe they're looking for out of a guy like Bennett. When because you know you look at who's in this class already, the the receiver slash athlete guys who are like Sam Reynolds and Derwin Burgess Jr. and maybe not necessarily Simeon Price or Omega Blake, but you know Bennett's a bigger body guy, six two one eighty, whereas you know Mosley may not be six feet like you know Sam Reynolds and. Thurman Burgess Jr. and some of those other five tennis guys. So, um, but but with Bennett, I, again, I, I think he would add add a little bit of size on the outside and, and give give them something in this class that they may not necessarily have uh, with, with some of the other guys. Assuming you know the the, the chips kind of fall where they they might with with some of these guys who are tagged as athletes. I mean, look, I love Jordan Mosley I mean, as a prospect. Uh, I just. You know, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, and you could disagree with me on this too if you want. Um, T. Martin is from Mobile, Alabama. He's his recruiter for Tennessee. Jordan's from Mobile. I mean, there's a reason he committed to Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, I like him, though. I mean, look, he's got a, a laser time 458 in the 40. He's six foot, 190 pounds. I mean, I think he's a stud. I mean, and I think. He will he will he will be better than his he's one of those low four, four stars kind of like Brian Edwards, 
or Mike Williams that went to Clemson that, you know, yeah, he's a low four-star and not in the top 250 or whatever right now. He's probably going to be drafted between rounds three and five if all goes well. Um, and that's just my prediction. But, I mean, you know, South Carolina flipping him, I don't know. Um, and, 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 you know, the whole Tennessee recruiting thing is probably a very fluid situation anyway, like at, at all programs, because I think they've done about the best job in the country of recruiting off of Zoom. I don't know what their Zoom plan was. I don't know if they had flashy backgrounds or, you know, Philip Fulmer comes rowing by like the Lando Lakes lady in a, in a river of orange cheese or something and, and, and gives them the hard sell over his shoulder. Hey, she comes to Tennessee, everybody else is terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I just uh, – I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if um, – I don't know what their, their, their deal was, but they've done a great job. Uh, I look beyond that, though, with Mosley, though, and see the T. Martin connection – and knowing T, I've known T since before he was a college coach, um, and we all saw T in 1998 complete, what, 23 straight passes against the Gamecocks. Um, so I, I just – I don't know. I, I don't know that, that uh, the Gamecocks can flip him. Hopefully they can, but I just don't know that they can. Yeah, and it's not like he, he committed during quarantine or during COVID, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he's been committed since last summer. I mean, I think he's – more than a year now since he's been committed to them. So that's uh, that's a long time to be committed and just turn around and flip. Yeah, he committed yeah. June of 2019. So, yeah, he's he's yeah more than a year now. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a long shot, I would say. Obviously. He's, a, he's a pre-COVID flip, pre-COVID flip. Or, yeah. I mean, sorry, pre, pre-COVID commit. So. And and he's never visited South Carolina either. So that's, that's probably going to be even tougher to do if you're talking flip. Flip candidates, it's, it's hard to, to really say this guy's a legit candidate to flip when, when he's never even been to your school. So, But, but I agree with you. I think he's a, he's, a, he's a stud. Now, flipping Keon Coleman from Kansas, you know, and people, people go off, you know, oh, God, Kansas is so terrible. And they are. Don't get me wrong. They're terrible. They're a little more entertaining to watch now that Les Miles is there. But they're sort of one of these unpredictable deals – Offensively, they made some staff adjustments last year and ended up being able to score. But you got to you got to score in the Big Twelve to have any chance. And, and they lost twelve to seven to Coastal last year. But then they ripped Boston College on the road. I don't know. It's kind of up and down. I'll say this though: one of the smart things Les Miles is doing because it's tough to get players at Kansas, and it's tough to go into Texas and get players, and it's tough to go uh, into Oklahoma and get the scraps after Arkansas and Oklahoma State and OU, and in some cases, Tulsa. And then in Kansas, you know, most of your talent base is in Kansas City, maybe a little in Wichita. You know, the big-time guys there aren't – you know, they're not staying in state. I mean, look at Clemson. I mean, Isaiah Simmons was from Olathe, Kansas, I believe, the Kansas City area. Um, they're going national. And then K-State, obviously, is the better program. So, you got to go somewhere, and I think you can make a living – as Mississippi State showed us with an all Louisiana backfield a couple of last uh, a few years back with Dak Prescott and the running back whose name escapes me, all second tier guys from Louisiana. Les Miles has obviously coached in Louisiana all those times. He's well known. So so it's 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 and then they sold the basketball program to Coleman, who's a basketball guy. So so it's more than just oh well. The Gamecocks are so terrible they got beat by lowly Kansas. No, I mean there, there, there's reasons why. KU has a disproportionately better shot at some at some Louisiana kids uh, than maybe they normally would. And I, based on what I was told, I, it was more of a basketball thing than anything. I mean, uh, Kansas basketball is, is going to rue the day over just about any any brand when when yeah. it comes to college athletics in general. I mean, not just just that sport, but I mean that's one of the top brands and. And all of college athletics, and and again, that was one of the things that I heard when it was looking like he was going to Oklahoma early on um, before Crystal Ball started flooding in for Kansas. I, and and when they started coming in for Kansas, I was I was just like, well, what's going on there? I checked on it, and it's like, yeah, that's that's a basketball thing. That's that's basically what it came down to was was that side of it. And so 
so yeah, I, I'm not real sure on, on South Carolina and their involvement on, on that side of things, but uh, I, I don't get the sense that it was uh, that big of a, a team deal, I guess, if you could say, between Frank Martin and Will Moschamp, not to, you know, throw anybody under the bus or say it should have been whatever, but, but Kansas basketball and Kansas football were clearly in, in lockstep and in, in, in trying to make that work. And, but you, you, you look at Kansas basketball and, and sort of where things are going with them and, and sort of the, the unknowns with, with their future. Uh, I, I think Bill Self could probably afford to, to, to take a risk on, on, on putting his name next to this guy and, but but I guess he is a pretty good player. I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from Keon Coleman as a basketball player, but I just don't really think there's a chance Kansas basketball is, is taking Keon Coleman. I will. He's not playing unless it's a blowout. If he if he gets to sit on the end of the bench at all, I mean, there, there's yeah. very few guys, even like Desmond Evans, who I think athletically he went to North Carolina last year and big basketball kid, and obviously UNC hoops had a lot to do with that and. Just the general fact he grew up loving the school, you know, if he plays basketball and takes the time out of developing as a defensive end to do that, you can you can take those five stars and divide them, divide it by two, and that's probably his upside in football. It just takes, you know, especially at certain positions. Now, wide receiver, you know, I remember Fred Gibson that played at Georgia, uh, gosh, probably over 20 years ago now. Um played basketball and was really good and, and made a difference for the Georgia basketball team and all that. I remember Julius Peppers at North Carolina. Obviously, there's Tony Gonzalez and people like that out there. But, man, oh, man, I, I just think it's so hard, especially at a program like Kansas. I don't blame Les Miles for using whatever he can, but I just don't know that it's realistic. And so if you're like, well, why didn't Frank Martin get involved? Well, I mean, I, you know, Frank Martin does what, what – you know, <laughs> Frank Martin's got to, you know, get his program up. And, and if you look, they've done this once with Evan Henson. And Evan Henson never reached his potential in either sport. So, you know, how'd that work out? And, like, everybody's different. So, I'm not saying it can't be done, you know. but and, and I forgot to mention, of course, Bruce Ellington was pretty good at both sports. But, uh, you know, it, it's just very hard to do. So, I don't know, you know, and I think Coleman too is one of those guys that if he were taking visits and he got to compare, you know, the football aspect of it at KU versus South Carolina, maybe he would have a little bit different story. I mean, Louisiana kids, it's not like they can just, you know, get in the car and hop on down, come down I-26 and go to Willie B for a home game or something like that. Of course, who knows who's going to be going to a home game or not this year. Yeah, it's, it, and it's I love me, one more thing, and I'll, and I'll with with the football and basketball dynamic. Like when when you're doing that, you're on scholarship for football, and football is going to take priority over basketball. You know, True. nine and a half times out of ten. So when when you don't actually see that dynamic in person and have it kind of explained to you, you know, face to face, I think you can from from a recruit standpoint, you can kind of. Uh, miss some of those specifics, some of those facts and some of those realities that are going to be in play when, uh, when you're actually doing it and living it. So, yeah, it's all about the, the dream, you know, you're, you're thinking, all right, I'm all, you know, I'm going to be, uh, be like Deion Sanders and, and play two pro sports in one day. And, and that's fine. I mean, that's, uh, I think when you're young, it's good to be confident and to have dreams and goals and stuff like that. I also think that the reality of, Playing two sports is very different. I mean, even ba- playing you – know, it used to be playing baseball and football was more common. But it's 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 hard to do that these days too with because with, you got fall practice for baseball during football and then you got spring practice for football, which is important, uh, during baseball, and, and it's just difficult. I will say this. I do think Shiloh Sanders um, – and John Whittlemobit probably would tell me I'm wrong – uh, so I'll just say this. I saw I saw some video of him hitting the other day. His swing's coming on a little bit, you know, like his old man. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if one day he made it. You know, made the made the made the cut for the Gamecock baseball team. I I just uh, I uh, just from a you know layman's watching him swing 
you know, knowing he's athletic kind of kind of situation. He didn't make it this past year, but uh, you know, maybe he does one day. Maybe he does. But um, so the quarterback situation in South Carolina, all of a sudden, even though nobody's been practicing, well, they have been practicing, they've been working out and have player led workouts and stuff like that. So about a week ago, I started getting there started being some uh, you know rumblings, I guess, out there that. You know, and I've known this from the beginning, um, or I've heard this from the beginning. Since Colin Hill decided to transfer, there has been a school of thought that he would be the guy. Um, nothing against Ryan Helensky. Uh, they didn't bring, necessarily bring him in to take Helensky's job. This was more about who they thought, you know, Colin Hill could be. You know, maybe Helensky needed some more work, whatever. So, I don't know that I dismissed it, Hale. I just I was, I was kind of like was, um, I guess, skeptical. Yeah. Now I've started hearing something completely different um, in, in terms of this uh, situ- situation. Um, and it looks like Colin Hill is a definite factor in this thing when things get cranked back up. So, Hale, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, when when you look at the circumstances and, and what's going on with how teams haven't been able to practice or have been very limited in what they're allowed to do, I think it makes a lot of sense that the guy who is experienced with the offense, has played in it, knows what, what Mike Bobo wants him to do. He's got all the terminology, all that stuff. I, I think it sort of adds up to, <laughs> to Colin Hill having – at least uh, the inside track on on winning that starting job. It just makes a lot of sense that he would, you know, potentially be the guy because he's got all those advantages working in his favor, especially with what Ryan Helensky and or Luke Doty or Jay Urich or whoever else is competing for that job, uh, what, what those guys don't really have going for them at this point. Well, I, here's the thing, too, and, and this is what, what was telling to me in terms of, you know, that discussion. I get that. Um, and, and I understand the, the, the pandemic and learning the system and all that good stuff. So I get it. But what surprised me is it, here, here's how it was put to me was Colin Hill is really, really good. Colin Hill is really good. Like, and, and so, so to me, that wasn't necessarily like a, yeah, we may have to go with him to get Helensky, who's the better guy up the stuff. That almost struck me sort of like a, and I know you used to cover Clemson, and I know you people hate when I give Clemson references, but you can't tell me that that's not the program that you know the most about outside of South Carolina. So this is why I use these references. It's, I'm, like a, <laughs> I'm like a professor here. And you know you do. You know you watch them every Saturday and pull against them. You know you do. Um, we, you know, anyway, Colin Harper and Willie Corn. Colin Harper, Willie Corn. Think about that. Now, everybody thought once, I guess, who was it? Proctor, you know, Proctor was gone. And, um, hey, Proctor's ex wife, by the way, is dating Sean Hannity. Did you know that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not all big into the TMZ stuff, but uh, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that the other day. I thought that was interesting. Um, and I think that's Carolina, probably, though, right. She's a Carolina. She's grad, a right? Carolina grad. Yeah, she's a it's Ainsley or Earhart or whatever. Yeah, there it is. I don't know why that just stuck in my head. And anyway, <laughs> Sean Hannity. Uh, anyway, um, so. Uh, after Proctor, I think everybody thought, you know, Corn would come in and, and get the start or whatever. And in 07, Dabo got the job, and then he just he threw Corn out there. He obviously wasn't ready. Uh, or, I'm sorry, in 08. In, in 07, Cullen Harper was the starter. 08, they struggled because Rob Spence's offense was just an abomination. And then Dabo starts Corn. Corn was a disaster for the few plays, and, and I, I still think that kid was hurt. And so Harper came back in and ended up finishing out uh, his career at Clemson as, as a really good quarterback. Nobody expected it. Cullen Harper was a two-star guy. I'll use another Clemson example. Willie Simmons 
losing his job to Charlie Whitehurst. Um, Simmons was a four or five star guy out of Tallahassee. Tommy Bowden's first big quarterback recruit um, was the starter for a while. And then Whitehurst was a low three star, nobody off the radar guy out of Georgia and ended up beating him out. So, so, so my point is sometimes the lower rated guy beats out the higher rated guy. Um, and, I, and I'll even go a step further and say at big time college football programs these days, Hale, they don't care. Okay. Nobody cared that Jacob Eason was, you know, the top quarterback in the country once Jake Fromm got in there and led him to a national championship and became the guy. Vice versa, nobody cared that Justin Fields was a hot shot freshman because they had Jake Fromm. You look at Oklahoma, they have a transfer quarterback starting every single season. <laughs> For maybe probably not this year, it's probably gonna be Spencer Rattler, but you know, a lot of the big time programs do not care. Uh, they play the best one and, and you don't you don't get caught up in the optics of the situation. Yeah, and not to take anything away from Ryan Helensky and what he did last season, especially when, when you consider what he was playing through injury-wise because he was certainly banged up. But, I mean, after that Alabama game, I mean, he played really well against Alabama, obviously. Um, but after that Alabama game, there really wasn't a whole lot that he did. To me, <laughs> it looked like he was like the guy, no questions asked, moving forward for the next two to three years, Ryan Helensky is, is the guy. Like I, I don't anybody who who watched those eleven games that he played in, if they came away with that that feeling, I'm I'm not really sure what they were watching because yeah, he had some some moments of of good play, but he certainly had some moments where he looked like a freshman and and wasn't ready. And again, injuries and play calling and lack of help on the outside of receiver and a run game that wasn't always productive. Those things add up and, and don't help, but. I mean, he, he still had a little ways to go. And, and even if all those things were working in his favor, I'm not so sure that it was still added up to, to him him being being the guy, you know, no questions asked. Luke Doty, good luck coming in when you hit the transfer portal. It, it, it wasn't even close to that. And anybody who, who who's operated under that assumption, I, I disagreed with wholeheartedly. And, and I felt that way before we even knew Colin Hill was coming in before we hit this pandemic and, and got to where we are here coming up on, on the start of August, I, I thought Ryan Holinsky was going to have to compete for his, his starting job. And again, I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I, I liked him a lot as a prospect coming in. I think he's an awesome dude and he does a, a lot of good things and is about the right things, you know, off the field and, and all that. But, you know, it's about winning football games. And, and if, if South Carolina's coaching staff doesn't think he's, he's the guy who gives them the best chance to win that then they're going to go in another direction. And, and anybody who thinks that he's, you know, just should be the guy because he's this great dude is a little misguided. And I think for, for whatever reason, there are still some people out there who think, uh, you know, he's this fan favorite and he's, he's earned it and blah, 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 blah. Well, I mean, if he doesn't give him the best chance to win, then they're not going to play him. And certainly seems like Colin Hill has, has gotten, gotten a lot of traction based on, on, on what you're talking about, JC, and, and sort of what we know a little bit behind the scenes. So, yeah, the closer race than, than some would believe. And look, I'll say this. I'll say this too. Um, he, he, look, you have to understand this too. You know, Ryan Holinsky was not ready to play. He had a bad offensive system. I don't think Brian McClendon did him any favors, but it was a bad offensive system. He's learning a new offensive system. Um, his true freshman season, I don't think was even close to what Jake Bentley was able to accomplish um, in terms of level of play. You know, I thought that, you know, when Jake played against the teams that the Gamecocks matched up well against, he was very good, didn't throw hardly any interceptions. It was probably one of the best stretches Jake played at South Carolina. Um, and – you know, you think about the Missouri game, the Tennessee game, you know, the UMass game, uh, even against South Florida in the bowl. Certainly they matched up offensively in that one. Um, he lit it up. 
Uh, now, Clemson and Florida, different story. Well, Halinski, the difference to me in those two performances when you break them down, and Halinski's had a bit, obviously 11 starts is a bigger body of work than seven. But against the teams that the game guys had no shot against, there was really no shot, um, just like Jake. And then the other teams, there was a lot of struggles. Um, you know, the App State game, uh, I'm convinced, was a scheme game. I think Ted Roof, who seems to have the Gamecocks numbers, just out scheme Brian McClendon. But I just, you know, was he bad? No. Um, were there moments where, uh, I guess, Alabama and Georgia specifically – where you were like, yeah, this kid, you know, the real deal. Yeah, I mean, heck, he was 15 for 20 in the first half uh, in the win over Georgia. Um, and I thought he played really well against Bama. <laughs> but I don't think the body of work I – don't, I don't think that he was as ready as Jake was. So you throw in the fact that there's a new system. Um, and it's different. It's a pro-style system. There's more things uh, – that, uh, you know, you have to do in Mike Bobo's system. You got to go under center a lot more. Uh, there's less of a reliance on RPOs, even though there are RPOs. Uh, it's more of a pro-style deal. We've had a pandemic. No matter how much you study it, you're not going to be ready to come in and run it, probably, uh, especially with limited practice time. Um, so, so you throw all that out there, and then you kind of think about the fact that, well, yeah – he was banged up a little last year, probably should have redshirted. He does have a redshirt year available. So if you do start Colin Hill and he's your guy and you're going to ride or die with him this year, then you can play Ryan Helensky in four games and he can come back next year and still have three seasons left. Um, which, in my opinion, um, if that's what they do, if that's the direction they go, you know, I, I think you do it and then you let – you know, Luke Doty and Colton Gothier and uh, uh, and Ryan battle it out next year, and then hopefully you let Gunner St- you throw Gunner Stockton in there in a couple of years, and you still have competition. I-, I-, I would think that you would agree with me here, Hale. Competition is a good thing, and in fact, it's everything. I think it's it's tremendously important to have competition, uh, especially at quarterback where those guys are constantly pushing each other. Yeah. And, and I think that's sort of the issue for lack of a better term, when, when things were, were going south for, for Jake Bentley a little bit, when, when he was getting in some of those situations where he's throwing a few too many interceptions. I mean, there, there wasn't any competition. Like he, he was hands down the, the option, the only option there. There's nobody there to, to throw in. I mean, yeah. Michael Skarnecki had had a, an okay game against Missouri and helped him win that game of the rain. But I mean, if, if there's a a better quarterback behind Jake Bentley, may, maybe that changes things a little bit. So, so yeah, if, if you're looking at this position where, where you can only play one guy and there's only one guy who's just head and shoulders, clearly like there's, there's no question about it. N- nobody who, who watches practice every day is going to debate it. There, if there's just that one guy at the top, then, you know, if that one guy at the top sort of struggles a little bit and might need a break, then <laughs> even on even on a day where he's firing at 70%, that 70% is still better than the next best guy's 100%. And at that position, I think that's everything. And, and when you're talking about trying to win football games, like that's where it starts as at quarterback. I mean, having a good defensive line helps, but you can play four guys at once and, and rotate another four or five guys in throughout the game where it's quarterback, it's only you're, you're one and you're done. And like you said, ride or die with it. So, yeah. Yeah. If, if you can have some competition and, and and help, you know, turn the heat up on Ryan Helensky or Luke Doty or Colin Hill or one day if it's Gunnar Stockton and Colton Gauthier coming in, like, then that's going to make everybody better and help ele- elevate everybody's game. Yeah, I mean, look, I think definitely it's uh, it's it's a situation where you know, and, and if let's say Hill is the guy, and and I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of wrap my arms or, or my head, not my arms. I don't physically uh, show affection to uh, ideas about football, although sometimes I feel like it. Um, <laughs> I uh, no, it, 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 I'm trying to wrap my head around um, around like why? Okay, 
and so here's the thing, you know, South Carolina two this year, if they don't, if they're not able to run the football, they're dead. No, 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 you know, no, uh, no question. And South Carolina has been abysmal at running the football for a myriad of reasons under Will Muschamp. And really since 2014, the game guys just haven't been able to run it that well. Um, Maybe a little in 2015 when G.A. Mangus took over the play call and they, they got some run game going with some creativity. But they just, by and large, it's been about six years. South Carolina, if, you, if you're looking, everybody always talks about identity on offense. They've been a pass-happy, not-so-physical, uh, you know, attack, <laughs> so to speak, you know. And so – you know, you got to run the football. So, so that that's if that does not happen, if that does not happen, they're dead anyway. So that's number one. But you still got to be able to throw it, and 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 you can't just line up uh, in in the eye and, and play you know 1990s style Nebraska. So okay, so so you got to be able to throw it. Well, you don't have a whole lot of proven receivers, and so. You're going to have to create, if you're Mike Bobo, creatively generate some things in the passing game if some of these receivers don't step up, i.e., you're going to have to be able to throw it to the fullback, the tight end, you know, the running backs. You know, Mike Bobo, uh, when he was at Georgia, had a lethal screen game, if you remember them throwing it to those guys. Um, remember Isaiah Crowell in uh, the 2011 game, the Gamecocks won, was unbelievable. But – so, uh, so that's the deal. I mean, that, so that, that's the whole deal. And, and so I think that being said, you need a guy that can run all that, that's going to gonna know the concepts and get the ball to where it needs to go. Uh, because inevitably, no matter how well you're running it, you're going to have to throw it at some point, and, and they're both important. You know, your thoughts about that. Yeah, and, and while that's all well and good, when you, when you can – make those short to intermediate throws, you're still going to have to test the defense vertically on occasion. And, and if, <laughs> if you can't do that, that that stuff is, is going to be not as effective if, if the defense doesn't really have to worry about leaving, leaving some one-on-one matchups downfield if, if they're not too concerned about, about yeah. getting the receivers. So, so your point about having, having to be able to run the ball is, is, going to be huge like if that's Marshawn Lloyd or Zaquandre White if he's able to get on campus or Deshaun Fenwick if if he's able to get a get a real shot and put it all together against somebody other than like Vanderbilt or you know Kevin Harris who were those guys certainly going to have to be productive and and being able to run the ball does help open things up you know downfield because if you got to bring a safety but into the box to to account for that that's going to help you get, get, give you a better chance to, to win some of those matchups downfield. But I mean, w- whether it's Colin Hill or Ryan Helensky or whoever playing quarterback that it, it comes to me, comes back to me is the, the question of receiver and some of the, the, the lack of established playmakers or <laughs> for lack of a better term, guys who just haven't done anything outside of shot Smith. Um, that to me is is as big a an issue moving forward for this team, and and we're sitting here talking about. I mean, I just said five minutes ago how the quarterback is the most position important position on the team, but you know if he can't if he doesn't have any receivers that, that are you know reliable, then yeah, nobody can ca- a catch a cold. Yeah, I, and I I think Joe Cox is an underrated hire just because I. I don't know that there's the t- talent level like a like a lot of people are like oh there's just no talent you know I don't know I don't know. I don't know maybe maybe not I think there's a lot of guys that have been injured you know which is no shock we're talking about the Gamecocks here um, I think a lot of guys you know suffered when McClendon started calling plays or running the offense like you know they should have spent so much time getting Xavier Leggett ready last year. Um, and, and they may have, but I don't know. I would, I would, he didn't look like it, you know, uh, compared to the guy we all heard about in practice to how he performed in game, it just didn't happen. And then he never played. And then at the end they had to play him. Um, and that's one good thing. People talk about the previous staff a lot. Steve Spurrier Jr. Once he decided 
you know, to coach a guy up. <laughs> he could coach him up. Um, and, and, and maybe McClendon didn't spend as much time. I don't know. All I know is the receivers didn't have drop issues and all that in 2017 when he wasn't calling the plays. And so I think Joe Cox, you know, and, and sometimes you have to have – a new voice. You need a new hear, a new voice, and, and I think it's true in the in the in the weight room too with Paul Jackson. But I, I think having a new voice there is so important uh, for the receivers uh, with Joe Cox because I, I think you know a lot of it's mental with drops, and so some of these guys, you know, they're they're not going to just be hearing the same old thing, and maybe that will give them renewed confidence uh, to go out and make plays. Yeah, or Trey Smith being hurt for the last, what, two years, however long it's been since his freshman year, I guess three coming up on – well, whatever the case may be. I mean, he, he was a guy who who looked awesome as a freshman, and moving forward we're, like, penciling him in as a starter or, you know, first guy in in the rotation and somebody who's, who's going to be an impact player moving forward. And he hadn't been able to play hardly at all because of his, his knee issue. And, well, you know, we're – hearing that he's moved forward with that and okay and all systems go like we still haven't seen it quite yet and still got to be able to get open and and you know run away from guys and make himself available to to make a clean catch like we don't know if that's going to be the case and you know outside of shy smith like there again there's just not a lot of guys who are proven that way i mean we hear josh van who who's apparently this really fast guy who who can run and all that, but hadn't really translated to the field. Mm-hmm. Talking about a guy who who I I was just very surprised it has not worked out in his first two seasons. I thought he was going to come in and be a really good player. I mean, some of those catches he made in high school. I mean, there were some pretty spectacular plays he was making, and it just has not translated for whatever reason. Well, I think too. I think what Josh, you know, if you, if you noticed, just so Josh came in and he didn't work out the whole off season when he was a true freshman, but he, somehow he found his way on the field. This is 2018, and if you think about it, you know, he was coming along. He caught that touchdown at Ole Miss. Um, was catching some passes, and then Debo sits out the bowl game and he has one of the most egregious drops that I think basically sealed the offense's fate that day as bad as it was. Confidence goes down. Last year he leads the SEC in drops. Didn't really have a chance to play his way out of it because then he gets an ACL. Um, He's a guy that is fast and is athletic, needs to play fast. He's like Sherrod Green. Sherrod Green – in 2018, you watch him play, he looks slower than molasses, slower than owl poop, you know, because he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know what to do. He's just kind of running around with his head on a swivel. Well, then this past year, they played him at a place that made more sense, and we didn't see that out of Sherrod Green in 2019. He was actually one of the bright spots of the defense. And so that's kind of him. Yeah, I'm not ready to throw dirt on Josh Van, but I am surprised he didn't come in more college-ready. And and that happens with slot receivers from time to time. The carry and joiner to me, though, Hale, is very, very intriguing. And my question here, and see if you agree with this, how bad was the hamstring last year? Um, and I don't know that he's ever a breakaway speed guy, but I think with with a couple of exceptions, like in the Georgia game where he did the Houdini and got the first down, it did affect maybe how elusive he could be. That and the fact he's trying to learn a new spot in the middle of a season while also playing quarterback. You know, but but that's my question as far as like, is he going to be serviceable or how good can he be? Is like how, you know, how much did that hamstring affect him? I think it was pretty significant. I mean, for for me, and you hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, his his straight line speed is while well, well, it's pretty good. I think his his higher attribute is is his short area quickness and making guys miss in a small space and and I think I heard you say this on the podcast recently and it was something I've been saying since he was you know a junior in high school if if I had to pick a position for Derek to carry on Joyner to play that wasn't quarterback it would be running back I, yes. I thought he was so such a tough runner I mean I'd watch some of those those Fort Dorchester games and seeing him run between the tackles and he just looked like a guy who was, who was cut out for that. And, you know, if, if he's playing receiver, I think you can incorporate some of those 
those types of things in, into what, what you could have him doing, especially if he's taking like jet sweeps and, and maybe some wildcat type of stuff and uh, maybe catching a pass in space and, and, you know, setting him up to, to try to make a guy miss in, in like a one-on-one situation. Um, I, I don't know that I would sit here and say like, yeah, he's going to be a guy who's going to catch 60 passes during a season. But, but I think he, he at the very least could be a serviceable type of guy. Uh, I don't, I don't know if, if that equates to him being a starter or a rotation guy, but, but I, I certainly think that he's got enough ability and, and short area quickness to where he can, he can make an impact if he's used in the right types of ways. And, and I would think that Mike Bobo, who, who clearly has got a pretty good track record of, of putting guys in positions to, to make plays with, with the skill sets that they have. I, I think that you would have to kind of count on, on that being the case with the carry on. Yeah. I mean, and, and look, I, I'm with you on running back and I actually want to give a shout out to John Whittle who mentioned this gosh in 2018. Um, he thought that was Juwaner's uh, best spot. I mean, six foot one, 205 pounds, He's a thick built kid. And I don't know, you know, maybe he's uh he's he's like a you know a thicker receiver. You know, uh, everybody loves Debo, right? Debo is the exception, not the rule. You know, these guys that are built like running backs normally aren't receivers. Like Debo and AJ, I think it's AJ Brown that played at Ole Miss are the two that come to mind. But you know, yeah, I I would definitely put him at running back or would have. But, you know, you kind of watch some of the tape from Colorado State. and Mike Bobo does a good job of, um, of getting that out there. All right, one more question and we're done. Anything you've been streaming lately, TV-wise, you can share with our audience that you would recommend as far as uh, how much television you watch. But uh, I like to ask people this just because people are still kind of stuck at home, working from home, looking for stuff to stream. Yeah, I, I'm a little late to the party on this one, but my girlfriend and I have been catching up on Peaky Blinders on Netflix. I'm sure plenty of people who are listening have, have already watched that one, but that's sort of where we're at right now with the, the streaming game. Um, I think she's kind of biding her time at this point since Braves are getting ready to start playing again here on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. and. Streaming TV shows will no longer be a thing for me. Sports are back. And it kind of slowed down when golf started back. I've been watching more golf than I do normally, and I love golf, but I've been just watching the, the hell out of it. And, yeah, as more sports start to come back, I, I'm going to have fewer and fewer answers. But uh, I don't know. I, I We've watched a lot of different things over the last four months, and, and it seems like it's been four years since – Tiger King and and all that stuff was was a thing. But the, I know. I mean, yeah, that's that seems like a long time ago. And it's like, but Peaky Peaky Blinders is a good show. I've called so many Peaky Blinders. It's <laughs> Peaky Blinders. I like uh, I like that and all that. Yeah, I'm ready for baseball. I'm uh, actually uh, uh, gonna go and uh, make a day of it on um, on. Uh, Friday and, and watch the Braves and some other teams. And uh, it's been weird catching some of the exhibition games with no fans. That's a, that's a little different. Um, Cause you, it, you kind of look in your, it's, it's a visual weirdness when you don't see, we see an empty stadium, but you can still hear the crack of the bat and some of the, you know, some of the, you know, silence of the game in broadcast doesn't sound too different, but um, it, it's still interesting. Anyway. All right, Hale, thanks for giving us your time or, given the time here and uh, I'm sure this will be a very well listened episode uh, and all that. We'll have you on again soon. Enjoyed it, JC. Appreciate it.